Welcome to this week's episode of the CPG View, the number one CPG information source for global omni-channel leaders. On this week's episode of the CPG View, we sit down with a dear friend. We talk about how to unlock the secrets to success in the ever-changing world of CPG. Join us for an insightful and eye-opening episode where we sit down with the industry expert who's revealing the latest developments and strategies you can use to stay ahead in the marketplace. You're going to discover how marketplaces are reshaping the e-commerce landscape, accounting for over 60% of sales and growing learning essential tactics to compete effectively, leveraging emerging digital sales channels like live commerce, social commerce, and metaverse experiences, and position your brand for success. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining this week's episode of the CPG View. Uh, It's wonderful to have you on, and I can't wait to dive into some of the meat we have here. But before we get started, would you mind introducing yourself and the company you're at? Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot for having me, Don. Um, my name is Jorrit Steins. I'm the founder and CEO of ChannelEngine.com, which is a platform that connects brands and retailers to all the marketplaces and our sales channels worldwide. Uh, so we're providing a software service solution, but also an awesome team that helps our brands and retailers to do super well internationally. Uh, so, And if you talk about marketplaces, it's not just Amazon and eBay and stuff like that. We connect more than 700 channels worldwide, but we'll probably dive into that part later. Uh, I've been into e-commerce for 20 years. So set up a company, building e-commerce solutions for retailers, for brands, ran our own e-commerce platform for a very long time. So for 12 years, we ran 75 e-commerce stores. It started in 2004 and there were no good solutions back then to build it. So we built everything from scratch e-commerce stores, backend system, warehouse management system, connectivity. Then we launched our marketplace and then we started selling on marketplaces like Amazon, uh, local marketplace, bold.com, eBay, etc. And like many people know in e-commerce, connecting your own backend systems to any external system is always challenging. And then you don't want to rely on your development team. So you want to be able to have your commercial team make the decisions. So we wanted to control panel. Uh, and didn't exist back then. So I decided to sell my previous company and build a channel engine as a platform platform to empower basically anyone that wants to sell on various channels. And uh, that's been a hell of a ride. So I started 10 years ago. Um, idea always simple, execution always hard to do, especially because we need to get to marketplaces and didn't have the brands. And then if you, have, you want to get the brands, you don't have the marketplace. It's a sort of a chicken egg situation. So interesting ride. Um, and at the moment, we have over 250 people uh, worldwide, 700 marketplaces, 10 locations. So doing good. Still, for my feeling, just getting started. Love it. Love it. Yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to diving into what we have here. But just even before we get started, to, you know, to your point, you and I have both been at this uh, nearly the same amount of time, almost, you know, two, two plus decades. And um you know, it, it's fascinating those in our space in the community um, that your point around e-commerce, global uh, retail e-commerce, you know, we're talking six to seven trillion dollars, I mean, rounding in, in that range. And, you know, there's still such a big misconception, I would say, in many brands of how in the importance that marketplaces play into their holistic uh, e-commerce strategy. And 
And there's so much to be uncovered and unpacked with regards to how to most effectively win, how to develop a holistic strategy digitally. You know, what what choices would lead you to to choose or what what considerations would you need to make for a one-piece solution versus a three-piece solution or a hybrid solution? So, yeah, well, I'm sure you and I could talk for days on this, but uh, looking That's forward different. to looking forward to getting into it here. So, you know, wanted to get your perspective. So, the retail market is rapidly shifting towards e-commerce and marketplaces. You and I discussed that. What strategies do you believe are crucial for CPGs to effectively compete and get ahead with the landscape that continues to evolve? Yeah, I think first of all, realizing that marketplaces are here to stay and it's not just Amazon, it's not just eBay. There are so many more platforms that sometimes don't seem like a marketplace. So I speak to super big brands and they say, well, we don't sell a marketplace. And when they start asking all kinds of questions, it appears they do. Uh, and especially last year, I've seen shift enormously because a lot of their customers, the retailers, um, are buying less and less because they don't want to have this, in this inventory as inventory risk, money is expensive. So they're all opening up marketplace, they're all pushing towards drop shipment, which means a massive shift, shift for brands as well, uh, but also an enormous opportunity. But if you don't realize that at the sea level, uh, then typically there's a very tiny department in a large brand that gets to handle the marketplace as well. It's of strategic importance to do so. Like you said, it's like uh, 6.8 trillion worldwide in e-commerce revenue there. Um, and all of that, I think 75% will be running through a marketplace or drop shipping model. So sometimes it's like, it's marketplace, it's drop shipping, doesn't matter, right? So you have to deliver to the end consumer. Um, and also uh, what you said, there's a big difference between being a vendor, sort of 1P model uh, versus being a seller, the 3P model. And being able to do both is essential because if you only rely on the 1P wholesale uh, vendor model, then you're relying on that vendor manager to send in purchase orders. And all of a sudden it can be the case that they don't send it in either because they didn't judge well how much they need or maybe change your strategy. And if you're not ready for your direct to consumer market, um, then you're just completely missing out. And we've seen that over and over again, especially during COVID. So we had one customer that started selling on the 3P marketplace, uh, just all the products that weren't bought uh, through the vendor platform. And then all of a sudden, uh, Amazon thought, well, our warehouses are full. We want to prioritize differently. So they didn't get any purchase orders anymore. And because they had that route ready, they sold more than they ever did. So having that flexibility is essential. Uh, if a new platform pops up, you need to be able to connect and to sell. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Speaking from past lives where, you know, you could have a brand that, to your point in that example, is fundamentally exposed. Um, you know, whether they're a public or privately, publicly traded or private company, um, you know, that has real implications. And in, and in, without a... Uh, contingency plan or lever to pull, um, you know, those those are tough situations to be in. So yeah, totally agree with you uh, on, on that. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you, uh, similar to that question, you know, the dominance of marketplaces in an e-commerce journey, it's, it's undeniable. How do you think CPGs can adapt their marketing and sales approaches to leverage those opportunities that are presented by marketplaces 
for not only visibility, but also conversion? Yeah, so if you, if you look at any brands, whether it's CPG or other brands, I think it's essential that the brand is in control of what a, their product looks like, uh, how it's positioned with our consumer that is searching for their type of products can find them or not. Uh, then it's the second choice. Uh, if you're found by one of these consumers, you need to have availability, whether it's through a 1P model or resellers selling it on a marketplace or whether you do it yourself. I think there's a massive opportunity for these brands to do it themselves because they gain a lot of information. Um, they can be in control of what they sell, uh, but also there's a huge opportunity to try new things. So if you launch a new product, um, you can create all kinds of bundles, which you don't have to pre-bundle. So we, uh, in general, you can create virtual bundles and a lot of our customers, a lot of CPG customers are using it. Because typically their products are too cheap to make it profitable to sell online. But if you bundle it in six packs, 10 packs, or in a combination with other products, it is profitable, but also that creates a unique listing, a unique offering on any of these marketplaces. So that's an opportunity to test out things. And if they drive a lot of volume, you can always prepackage it. Uh, so I think that's where the opportunity lies. Uh, the other opportunity is that there's so many platforms which you can test out without sending all your inventory over there. Uh, because if you spread all your inventory over all these resellers, um, that's a that's a risk. Uh, and if you can leverage your own direct-to-consumer warehouse or 3PL and then sell that product on Amazon and all the other marketplaces from the same inventory levels, then you can optimize. And you can also optimize for margin. So if you know, for instance, the shipping container isn't coming in and we can forecast how much you're going to sell on one channel, you can switch off other channels that are less profitable because we know exactly what kind of fees there are, what kind of return rates on each platform. So you can fully optimize uh, your current inventory. Yeah, I think about that and think about from uh, past lives as well as those in our community that I speak with. And, you know, I, I think it almost, it goes to, a uh, dexterity in the business to to be able to you you mentioned it before, but not only have a one p capability, but a three p capability, and and I would say it's a I would say it's a must. Um, and I think you 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 probably would as well. But you know, to your point, um, it, it is not a nice to have. It is these are these are table stakes. Uh, you know, maybe ten yeah. years ago it was a nice to have, uh, but yeah. th these are these are table stakes. And especially with, you know, what we're seeing across the globe changes some of the marketplaces are making with regards to vendor management uh, strategies and choices. And, um, you know, to your point, um, if a brand is does not get purchase orders for a particular week, month or quarter from a particular vendor manager, you know, that has real implications on the P&L and, 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 and on the business. Um, and I think, you know, you know, those in our community from a digital CPG e-commerce perspective, you know, we're often the ones that are either leading, coaching, empowering um, those teams. To your point, sometimes it's a team of two or three. Sometimes it's a team of, you know, 30 or 50. Uh, but oftentimes the questions are always typically the same. What's happening with sales? What's happening with margin? What's happening with market share? And where are the purchase orders at? Uh, right. And, and yeah. or inventory and, 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 you, you know, so the, the more that there's dexterity and having one P and, and three P levers to pull, uh, you know, brands are just much more equipped to succeed in these, in these changing, 
I wanted to ask you, you know, the, the transformation of large e-commerce platforms into marketplaces, um, or I'm sorry, let me restate that. The transformation of large e-commerce platforms into marketplaces and their increasing demand for dropshipping capabilities has obviously impacted e-commerce value chains and businesses. In your opinion, what are some of the challenges that CPG brands should be aware of and how might they think of navigating these changes most effectively? Yeah, I think first of all, a brand needs to be in control. So being in control means you need to be able to adapt to any change, like you said earlier. Uh, and if you don't, the only constant is change, right? So you need to be able to connect to any platform. Uh, and if you don't have that route to market, then you don't have a negotiation position as well uh, on your, your vendor part. So if you look at new platforms like retailers, it used to be just a customer. So they were sending in purchase orders and now opening up a marketplace that opens up the possibility to sell basically everything. Uh, what I've seen happening over the years is that all these retailers are buying less inventory, uh, just uh, the fast movers, and they, they pick and choose. And as a brand, you want to have your whole collection available. Look at, for instance, um, uh, if you look in fashion, you want to have a whole size range available. Or if you have a new product line, you want to have all the variations available, not just the ones that sell very fast. And that's what you can do with these marketplace shipments. Uh, uh, possibilities, but then typically the volume isn't there. So if you don't automate that part well, it isn't worthwhile. So if you have to upload manually, if you have to ship it manually, there's a big chance of mistakes and then it's going to be very costly. But if you automate it well, it can be super efficient and then it doesn't matter how many channels there are. I had a discussion a couple of years ago with a customer said, well, who's going to win this marketplace race? I don't care. It's like, if, if you're in control as a brand, you can sell anywhere and you can cut off these channels when it doesn't make sense at that time or open up a new channel when it makes sense. And you need to be in control, not these, uh, these platforms. No, you're, you bring up a really good point. And, and it goes back in my mind to strategy 101. If you're a brand and you're listening to this and you're in the community, it, it goes back to the things we all learned earlier in our career. And it's, you know, with regards to strategy, it's clarifying our ambition determining our where to play and how to win choices. And then the fourth and fifth choice to be made is the point you made of what capabilities are needed to enable the strategy and what systems are required to support. And I think what, you know, I've seen a lot of in my, along my journey, and I'm sure you probably see some of this is without a clear ambition of a business definitively, um, you know, with a thoughtful range of how big they want an e-commerce business to be, um, that's that's the starting point. You know, you really have to draw a line in the sand, right? Strategy's choice, and you have to choose. Hey, we're choosing. We want to grow thirty percent. We want to grow five percent, or we want to grow fifty percent. But then determining to your point, and some of this comes with education of getting in and understanding, working with partners like your team, yourself. Hey, where should we be playing and how should we be thinking about winning? Um, because those choices are different in different geographies on different marketplaces. And, and then making sure you're able to, once we clarify those three choices, we then can say, okay, what capabilities are needed here with regards to, yeah, I agree with you. It starts with control. Without control, you, you really, it's a, it's a showstopper. Um, but 
you know, what capabilities do we need for our selection? What capabilities do we need for our content? What capabilities do we need for ratings, availability, price, all the things you, you and I and your team talks about. And then, hey, what systems do we actually need now? Um, and I think it, it goes back, a friend of mine wrote a book on strategy and he was in a former uh, company I was at. And he, and he said this, he has this famous you know, sentence that he says, and it resonates so well. It's um, e-commerce is not a project. E-commerce is a P&L. E-commerce is a BU. E-commerce is, is a business. Um, and I, I, where I've seen brands get really loose and lose their way um, and end up having management changes or end up, you know, whatever occurs is as many times because they're not able to connect the strategy all the way down. Yeah. And I've seen it change over time as well. Uh, and it's an essential part to do it. And if you uh, rightly so, when you say companies need to be very clear on their, their ambition, and if they don't uh, have an ambition, then the, their ambition is to be mediocre. Right. Uh, I, I think they're also held back by the, uh, the history. So it used to be super tough to go into new regions and a lot of companies only see obstacles, but there's so many opportunities uh, to, to see. So once you have this routes to market, whether it's on one channel or five channels or a hundred channels, it doesn't matter if you, if you have the right processes and the right partners in place. So we have a customer that uh, literally said, well, we chose you guys because you were the best of breed in Europe and now you're global. And because of you guys, now we sell global as well. They never dreamt of doing it, but we built a, a global 3PL network. So for them, it's super easy. They just connect a new marketplace, have 3PL, a local agency that helps them out. And all, all of a sudden they sell in Australia. So those kind of examples are super powerful. And that's a company doing maybe hundred million to start off with. So not super big, but we see smaller examples. And then we see huge enterprises, multi-billion dollar customers of ours that start off with a team of two and then started, which is yeah. insane to me. Uh, and, and then they have way more people somewhere in the corner in a warehouse than on their most strategic project. I do see it shifting. So over the years, a couple of years ago, most of the large enterprises said, well, let's pilot on a marketplace with a small team. And now it's a strategic choice. So now it's, they do it deliberately. Uh, they built global teams with some local localization offices. So it's getting more professional. Um, some verticals are going way faster than others. Uh, so you see all these different uh, phases along the customer, uh, the, the commercial journey. Uh, and then I still meet some brands and say, nah, for our vertical, it isn't going to happen like that. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's going to happen for all verticals. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you met quite a few of those probably. So, so true. Yeah, you and I could speak on this for days. So. I want to bring us to our next point here. So, you know, it really is fascinating when we talk about platforms like Google, Instagram, TikTok, you know, Pinterest, the list goes on. They're expected to change or alter their business models by collecting payments and processing orders. You know, how do you envision these shift influencing these shifts influencing the customer experience and how by you know, CPG brands engage with their target audience differently as a result. Yeah, I think it's a huge opportunity. Uh, it is live. We're live with TikTok in Southeast Asia. We're live with TikTok in the UK. Uh, of course, Instagram has been in beta for seven years, I think. 
And then they announced that they're going to close it off and TikTok came along and all of a sudden it's going to be an obligation by February next year. So super interesting to see what's happening there. Just if you sign up, uh, the majority of the listeners probably don't have TikTok accounts, the kids do. Sign up, go to the hashtag, TikTok made me buy it. You'll be astounded how much they sell. Uh, and a lot of that is driven to Shopify stores and stuff like that. TikTok, TikTok launched their checkout, Instagram launched their checkout. So you're actually purchasing on the social media platform, which means a lot of impulse buys or influenced buys are taking place on that platform. So it's essentially a marketplace. It is super interesting for fashion, cosmetics, gadgets, all kinds of uh, impulse buys, uh, but also a whole new generation is relying on social media for their purchases. So if you're not there, you're missing out on a whole new um, group of potential buyers. And it's a different way of engaging. So you can do it together with influencers, you can build it yourself. Uh, you see live streaming coming up a lot. I think we're gonna talk about that a little bit more, but if it's a product that needs a little bit more explanation, then live streaming works very well. Uh, super luxury bags, uh, stuff like that, cosmetics, um, those kind of things are working ext extremely well. Um, so actually in Southeast Asia, live stream shopping or the TikTok shopping already passed. Uh, it's now the third largest marketplace already, uh, even though they just started. So it's, it's massively growing. Um, curious what's going to happen in the rest of the world. I think brands are late to adopt it. Uh, so I would definitely urge everyone to pilot it. We see it as, with our customers as well. They're slow at adoption because it's, it's new and let's see, we have a lot on our plate already. But I think the ones that do uh, can tremendously uh, benefit from these early experiments. Yeah, I, I totally agree uh, with, with that. I, I think, you know, if you and I go back, uh, probably when we all started our journey, um, you know, you had... I was talking to someone the other day that was uh, at a very, very large CPG, and he, he was talking about how he's discussing this internally. And, you know, it, it's somewhat similar to when, you know, in the U.S., at least the QVCs and the HSNs 20, 30 years ago uh, started to pilot and and they became more relevant. And all of the if you think about it, zoom out 30,000 feet, all of us as consumers we were consuming content through television screens 20 or 30 years ago. There was no phone, you, you know, um, but now we all as generally everyone uh, or so many of us are consuming through the phone and, and they're more particularly the channel they're on per se is TikTok or, or, and, and so it just makes a ton of sense. And to your point, the more you can get into these other regions, and or you know to your point, search the hashtag TikTok made me buy it. Um, I, I think there's a huge degree of of awareness, and I think almost a sense of like utter um, awe in terms of wow, I can't. This is driving this much in terms of sales, uh, or you know if you think about the traditional marketing funnel awareness, uh, you know consideration and trial, and it's happening fast. It's happening so fast, super fast, right? And um, I, I think that to to your point, like, like it used to be television. Basically, where the awareness is, where the people spend their time, that's where the transaction will be. Mm -hmm. And if you're not there with your brand, you're missing out on that whole opportunity. So you need to be there. 
And, and sometimes I have these discussions like, yeah, yeah, TikTok's just for kids. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. They're, they're spending money on it. If you look at the amount of time being spent on it, uh, Netflix had 9.6 trillion minutes of view time. TikTok had 24 trillion minutes of view time. Just to put it in perspective, mm-hmm. it's insane. And they're ready to buy totally. because it's an active, an active uh, thing they're doing. Well, I wanted to finish out with, with get your insights here. You know, as we think about the digital landscape and its continued uh, evolution, there's several emerging digital sales channels gaining traction, such as you and I were discussing live commerce, social commerce, in-car commerce, uh, you know, metaverse, uh, NFC, the list goes on. Um, can you share some of your insights of which of these channels you find particularly promising for CPG brands and how they can effectively capitalize on these trends to enhance their presence and drive sales? Yeah, so if, if you look at uh, these different channels, definitely social commerce is one of them, next to naturally all the channels we, we spoke about the earlier on. Social commerce is driving sales. Um, I think in-car, in-car commerce is super fun, but it's not going to be massive. <laughs> it's more com- convenient. You have your phone in the car anyway. It's nice for PR. Uh, I, I think the, the one you listed as well, it's um, uh, NFC text and QR technology. So it's not really a channel, but it is a relevant one. So one of the biggest obstacles for companies uh, that sell direct to consumer through these platforms is like, how do I get my customer back in my customer journey? So you can add NFC tags or QR codes to your platform. And there's some awesome companies where you can just tap your phone as a consumer to register for a free gift or, or instructions that helps. And then all of a sudden you capture that, uh, that consumer, get them back into your marketing funnel. For instance, for cosmetics, you can add a tutorial with a QR code. And then when they want to see the tutorial, they can register for, I don't know, certain discount. And you get them back into your uh, e-commerce funnel, your marketing funnel. And that's a very good way to get close to your consumer. Uh, in the end, you want to be everywhere. You want to sell everywhere. And then you also want to get to know your consumer again. So I think yeah. it's a huge opportunity. That's a great point. You know, we think about this, uh, you know, I think about this with regards to you know, marketplaces evolving and, uh, you know, uh, closed loop attribution, cookie lists, all those conversations that have occurred in the last year, two years. Uh, and I think, you know, to your point, depending on the size of the company and whether they have an analytics team or an analytics man or woman, or they have a, whatever they have, um, I think that, that certainly is that importance with regards to what they're investing in media um, and, and hopefully they have closed loop attribution to be able to, you know, correlate the sales back to the, to the, uh, you know, what it's able to drive into the business. But I think that point you made with regards to getting them back into your branded marketing funnel is, is spot on. And I say, I think it'll be something that will add a lot of value to those, uh, that are listening and, and maybe someone on the e-commerce team will forward this to someone in their marketing team. And, and and just as a little nudge. Um, that, uh, yeah. And there's one, one fun thing there. So the first inclination that everyone has is like, oh, no, I've got a customer email address. I'm going to target them to sell, to buy on my.com, which is awesome. Get some more margin. But it's also super valuable to drive more sales on, for instance, your Amazon page. Why? Because it will spike the algorithm on Amazon. 
drive sales velocity, which means you will be higher ranked in categories or on keywords, which means you'll drive more sales organically as well. So driving traffic towards those pages will make all the marketplaces happy, but you happy as well, because you will, will be performing better, get better reviews and stuff like that. So don't always go for the short, uh, short win, short profit, um, but look at it strategically over all the channels. Well, this was a, a great conversation. Uh, greatly appreciate you being here. I think the community will benefit greatly from listening to this. Uh, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the CPG View, the number one CPG information source for global omni-channel leaders. Mm-hmm.